Well, I got to say, last weekend, I found myself in kind of a weird place. Um, <clears throat> every morning, I seem to uh, have a good time with Jesus, just kind of reorientating, uh, <clears throat> getting kind of reestablished in some ways. And then <clears throat> inevitably, throughout the day, something happened that upset me or would just kind of annoy me. Things that added stress to my life. I suspect that maybe you have days like that as well. And I just felt like I would go through this cycle of sort of orientation and being kind of grounded and, and then disorientation and some chaos in my life. And it started uh, really on Friday. There's just some personal stuff that I was dealing with and kind of my, my other life outside of, of, of ministry that I don't need to get into all the details and bore you with that. But it kind of spilled over into Saturday. And by Saturday afternoon, I could just tell that there was this kind of simmering anger just beneath the surface that was really um, starting to get to me. Well, Sunday morning comes, spend time with the Lord, and it just kind of dissipates a little bit, and you're settled, and you come to church, and uh, it was a good morning. If you were here last Sunday, or if you listened to the message online, you may have discovered for the first time that there's actually an official day of which to uh, set up your Christmas tree, and that is the first Sunday of Advent. Anytime before that, it's a little premature. Anytime after that, you're, you're late, and you better get on with it. Um, but uh, so Sunday afternoon was decorate the tree day in our home. And uh, um, the tree's set up. Uh, we do have an artificial tree. Uh, long reason for that. Or, yeah, doesn't matter. Um, um, and uh, my job in setting up the tree is to put up the lights. And I don't know why that is. I, maybe it's just because I'm good at going around in circles and not doing much. But, uh, but we did. And... Um, I think in order for you to kind of understand how this went, I need to show you something, and maybe you'll understand a little bit more of why I was feeling the way that I was. <clears throat> now, this bag contains our Christmas lights from our Christmas tree last year. And like many of you, you take your Christmas lights up, down, we wrap them up neatly, we put them in a box, and then next year comes, you pull them out of the box. And so I start to pull them out of the, out of the box, and they were probably not quite as tangled as this, and this started to be, it's like, oh, I don't know if you can see that from back there, but half of them are burnt out. And then I go to the next one. Where is it? There we go. And nothing. And, and I'm like, these worked the year before. What happened in the course of the year? Again, nothing. And this went on and on through the entire bag until I had a pile of about three or four that were completely burnt out. None of them worked. And, uh, and then another pile where only half of them worked. I was frustrated. Now what are we going to do? I remember that a few years earlier, I had bought a little tool that you could test the light. Like, if there's ever false advertising, it's with these mini Christmas lights, right? Anybody else annoyed about this? When one burns out, they all stay lit. It's a lie. And those people sit on a throne of lies. Anyways, um, I'm annoyed. I pull out my tool and I start to, to figure this thing out. At first, I have to watch tutorial videos, of course, and they're just like driving me crazy. And uh, so then I'm pulling out bulbs and I find a bulb that's burnt out. And I think, oh, maybe this will work. And I ch- replace the bulb, put it in, still nothing. Honestly, 
about two hours I wasted trying to go through these lights. And finally, I was just so frustrated. I just said, that's it. I'm just going to buy new LED mini lights from Canadian Tire. And uh, now there's a whole other layer to this, but I do not have permission from Tina to tell you that story. So if you want, you can ask her about it in terms of what actually went on. But it was one of those frustrating experiences. It just annoyed me to no end. And uh, there were a couple of other things. And then by Monday morning, right, I just totally felt off. And in my own life, just lacked this sense of peace and well-being. The stress and anxiety of the weekend and all of these different events came uh, into my life in a, in, a, in a real way. And so um, you probably have experienced some of this yourself, right? That, that Christmas is a little bit like that. It adds its own unique stresses to our lives. And in some ways, I thought that each of these strings of lights in some ways could represent many things could represent maybe just the pace of the Christmas season where there seems to be uh, a, a greater busyness than at other times of the years, right? There's places to go and people to see and things to do. Well, what are some of the things we do? Well, we got to go buy gifts and so we crash the malls and it's busy and chaotic and then we got to wrap those gifts and maybe we still send cards out or we want to send out some cards or maybe you're into Christmas baking, you enjoy baking, but, but it's still another thing on a long to-do list. And then you start thinking ahead to Christmas and Christmas plans and you start thinking about maybe family relationships and family dynamics and, and maybe there's tension in your family. Don't know anything about that. I just heard that it's bad. And all of this can be exasperated by COVID and the effects of COVID. And maybe as a result, there's an extra layer of financial stress in all of this time. And what we can say about this season is that it's been disruptive and challenging. And I think it's fair to ask, where is the peace? Where is the peace? You see, the realities of life seem to come and they choke the peace out of life. And we find that peace can be hard to come by. And this Advent, we're remembering that God came and moved into the neighborhood. He lived among us, Emmanuel, or God with us, and he still is with us. And so we're taking the time to remind ourselves of this truth. And by lighting these candles, they're a visual uh, a symbol of going through the Sundays of Advent, where we're being reminded of the hope that we have in Jesus, the peace that comes to us through Jesus, the joy that we have in a relationship with Jesus, the love that we experience because of Jesus, all of these gifts and blessings, all because Jesus came. And so this morning, I want to expand and think a little bit more about this idea of peace right? Like, how do we experience it? Where, where do we go looking for it? What are we hoping for? I think deep down, we all know that we long for it. We want it. We know that some things aren't right, and we want it to be made right. Well, peace may be a familiar word to us in the English. We may know it as an emotion or, or a feeling, maybe a particular condition of the heart or a posture of the heart where, where a peaceful person, it might be said. Uh, most people would define peace as maybe the absence of conflict or the absence of war. We think 
in terms of maybe peace treaties or when two nations have been at war with one another and then they come and make peace or they enter into a peace treaty, they're now living in times of peace. Well, the Bible's definition can mean these things, but it actually gets much deeper than that and means so much more. And this concept of peace is really woven throughout the Bible. The Old Testament, the word for peace in Hebrew is shalom. Maybe you've heard that before. In the New Testament, the the Greek word used is irene, or, or, or it sounds a lot like um, if your name, or if you know somebody named Irene, my mom's name was Irene, and in German, it was Irene, which sounds very much like the Greek, Irene, which, you know, it's interesting when I think back to my mom and her character, and you know how often you think about the meaning of a name and how it seems to fit with the person, um, that really was my mom. She just exuded peace in that sense. And so we have this Old Testament word and this New Testament word, and the Old Testament word shalom really means to be complete or whole, uh, an order that brings harmony. And it was used to refer to a completed brick wall that had no gaps or missing bricks. Or it was used to refer to something that is complex with lots of pieces that was in a state of completeness or wholeness. Job said that his tents were in a state of shalom because he counted his flocks and no animals were missing. And so all was well. Um, Shalom can also refer to a person's well-being. When David visited his brothers on the front lines of the battlefield, it says that he just went to see how they were or shalom. He asked them about their shalom. And the idea, ultimately, of shalom is understanding that life is complex. It's full of moving parts and relationships and situations. And when any of these parts are out of alignment, or they're misaligned, or even missing, your shalom breaks down. There's a lack of peace. Because life is no longer whole. Life in this sense, needs to be restored. In fact, that's the very basic meaning of shalom when you use it as a verb. Because to bring shalom then literally means to make complete or to restore. And so uh, Solomon brings shalom to the unfinished temple when he completes it. And in addition to this concept of peace being found throughout the Bible... Uh, it is also found in a person. Of course, that person is Jesus. And in the text that Jacob and McKenna read for us in the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, Jesus is declared, among other things, to be the Prince of Peace, right? He's the, he's the wonderful counselor, the, the everlasting Father, the mighty God, the Prince of Peace. And verse 2 begins with the people walking in darkness, You see, Israel knew what it meant to be in darkness. And they, as a nation, were heading into exile, and they wanted nothing more than rescue and deliverance. And when they heard those words, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, this would have immediately resonated with them. Because they were uh, longing for a priest. They were looking for a king to liberate them, to bring blessing of peace to them. 
And ultimately with the hope that he would establish a new government and a new way of life. And so those words were like music to their ears. And when this promise was ultimately fulfilled when the Messiah arrived and the angels sang in Luke chapter 2 verse 14, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. Earth peace. Irene. You see, Jesus was the very manifestation of peace. Peace himself came on that night in Bethlehem. But it wasn't just the Old Testament prophets who predicted this or the gospel writers that, that expressed that Jesus was in fact the peace that God had promised. But it was that Jesus himself declared that peace was in fact the presence of someone. In John chapter 14, verses 25 through 27, Jesus is preparing his disciples for what would be his imminent death. And in some of his final words, he's comforting his disciples. He's telling them that he won't just bring peace, but he will give it. He will ensure that they had access to it, and he reinforces the promise given to them. And so this is what he says, All this I have spoken, he says, while I still with you. But the advocate or the counselor, the the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. And then look at this. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. The world doesn't know anything about the peace that I'm about to give you. And he says, but do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. And these words still echo 2,000 years later. Do not be afraid. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Why? Because Jesus comes and he says, I am the peace. I am peace. And I give you this peace. And I am with you. I am your peace in the midst of a pandemic where there's chaos and conflict, where there's deep loss and grief. His peace comforts us, and in our weakness and in our weariness, he whispers, do not be afraid, because he who is peace is present with us. I just want to expand on this idea of peace and how the Bible looks at it a little bit more by looking at three aspects of peace, so, we'll, so that when the Bible talks about peace or shalom, it does so in these three contexts, and I hope that it just expands our understanding of peace a little bit and see how these different meanings of peace interact with each other, and ultimately how we can see that, that when we have this, these, these aspects aligned and in order, then there is this completeness or this wholeness or this shalom. And the first simply is peace with God. Sorry, I got to move this because I keep tripping over it. It's annoying me. <laughs> oh, great. I'm all tangled up just because of those Christmas lights. But peace with God, right? So one thing is certain is that God has pursued peace with us. You see, Jesus made it possible 
that the relationship between humanity and God would ultimately be reconciled. You see, Adam and Eve had sinned, and that sin caused a separation. And in our studies in Colossians um, chapter 1 and verse 20, we already looked at this verse, but it says this, And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by what? Making peace through his blood shed on the cross. And so this verse, again, just speaks to the fact that Jesus came and he made a way for humanity to have peace with God through his death on the cross. And that's this theme of reconciliation. We find it throughout so many of our Christmas songs. I want you just to really pay attention to that. God and man reconciled, right? Some of the lyrics from even Hark the Herald Angels Sing, right? God and man reconciled. And it's the theme of many of the songs that we, that we sing. You see, in writing to the Romans, Paul put it this way in Romans chapter 5, verse 1. He says, therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So, it's, it's so straightforward, right? It is through Jesus that we're ultimately brought into a right relationship with God. The theological term for this being made right is that we're justified, We are reconciled. This relationship that was broken is restored, just as uh, to bring shalom means, right? This restoration that, that takes place. And so, shalom returns us to the relationship, and this relationship is then made right, okay? We're brought together. We have peace with God. I mean, throughout the Bible, when Paul's writing about this, he talks about that, that humanity was actually enemies of God, but then... So at war, <laughs> at a battle, opposed to one another, but then brought together and reconciled. And when we don't have peace with God in this way, we, I think, instinctively know that something's not right. A few weeks ago, I talked about the emptiness that we might experience in life, and we're always looking for ways to try to fill it. This is just another way. We, we feel this discontent in our lives, and, and we're not sure how to put a finger on it. But friends, if that's you, I, I want you to seriously think about, is it because I'm not in a right relationship with God? That I've never said yes to Jesus. I've never received him as my Lord and Savior. I've never asked him to really forgive my sins. I've never committed my life to following him. And if I haven't done those things, then I'm always going to feel like a little out of sorts. Because things aren't right between me and God. And so peace with God is one of the aspects that we need to think about. The second thing that I want us to think about is peace with one another. Peace with one another. And so in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 22, you can read all of that for yourself. I'll look at a couple of verses in a moment. But in this passage, the Apostle Paul is really writing about a theology of peace. And his point is that since Jesus is our peace, that he brings us into relationship with God, but he also brings other people into relationship with God, and therefore he brings us together. People who may be very different from us, people who we don't share the same ethnicity with or whatever, but because of Jesus, we're brought together into relationship and peace with one another. And in Ephesians, Paul's writes specifically about Jews and Gentiles and the division and some of the hatred and the animosity that was there. But he says about this in verse 14, he says, for he, that's Jesus, himself is our peace 
who has made the two groups, the Jews and the Gentiles, he's made these two groups, what? One. And he has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. There was no more reason to ever have hostility between different ethnic groups. This is why racism is, is like, it's sin. It's, it's completely against what God would ever want for his people. Because he brought them together, breaking down the dividing wall of hostility. Look at how it goes on. He says, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. This one new humanity. This is God's people The church called out from different places and called together. And he goes on, and I don't have it up there for you, but in verse 16 he says, and in one body, that's in Jesus' body, to reconcile both of them, that's again Jews and Gentiles, to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. You see, he, he, he removed this issue. He came and preached peace to those who were far away, and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by what? One Spirit. And so Jesus is our peace, and he puts us together. And that's why just a few chapters later, he admonishes the Ephesian church. He says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Make every effort to keep this peace that has been brought because of Jesus, right? And so we see this concept of restoration and reconciliation again, and this time in the context of human relationships. And in the book of Proverbs, to reconcile and heal a broken relationship was in fact to bring shalom. And so we experience this shalom in peace with God. We experience shalom and peace with one another. And lastly, peace then ultimately with life's circumstances. I mean, we all know that life can be and often is very hard. Stuff happens in our life that can rock us. Much more than just some burnt out Christmas lights. A cancer diagnosis a sudden death, a broken relationship, an unexpected layoff. These events, when they happen in our lives, are no doubt unsettling and cause us worry and stress. They increase our anxiety. And we might rightly ask in that, God, where is the peace? And again, we discover in the Bible that peace is ultimately not the absence of something, but rather the presence of of someone. And in John chapter 16, verse 33, Jesus promised his disciples, he made this promise, think about this, that they would actually have trouble in life. Life wasn't going to be easy. It's going to be filled with trouble. In fact, this is what he says. He says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. Okay? So we go to Jesus and in him we have peace. And in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. I've overcome the world. You see, there is a peace that comes to our life circumstances when we know that God is in control. That there's a peace that's rooted in a deep, unshakable trust in God. 
Peace in this context is that sense of well-being that comes from knowing that everything is in fact under the control of the Prince of Peace, right? He rules and he reigns. And again, that's why so many of our songs talk about this reign and this rule of Jesus in his kingdom that he's established. Well, if you've ever received an email from me, and chances are most of you, you have if you receive a weekly email or something like that. And I, I typically sign most of my emails um, with peace, or sometimes grace and peace, because I think sometimes without grace you can't really have peace. But peace means a lot for me. And it's not kind of like, hey, peace, man, you know, just chill. Or like, you know, peace out, like sort of a way of saying goodbye in kind of a, a rude way. But I actually mean it as shalom. But since most people don't know that the Hebrew word shalom, I just use peace. And what it is, is, is as I'm closing that email, I'm just, I'm wishing you wholeness. I'm wishing you completeness. I'm, I'm in essence ending this email with a blessing to you, that you may know, uh, that you may know peace with God, that, that you may know that your relationships would be right, that you may be at peace with your life circumstances, that you, in fact, would just experience peace in all of its fullness, that there would be this deep sense of well-being, because that's what I want for you, and that's what I want for me. Peace, shalom, those things that were not right, that were misaligned, that were missing, brought together and restored to the right place. Friends, I want to give you something that, that I've used in my own life for, for probably close to 20 years now. And it's just paying attention to what I might call some of the gauges of peace in our lives. That we would have maybe a way to measure or determine um, our shalom. So that when you kind of sense that something is off, you, you might be able to take appropriate action. And we'll talk a little bit about that. And there's five gauges that I use. So if you can picture this kind of like the dashboard of your life. You know, you, you look at a car and you've got, you know, you've got your fuel gauge and you're watching that. And, and when it's getting near empty, you know you need to take action and, and fill up. Or, or if you have, a, um, you know, a tachometer and you see the RPMs going up, you know that you can't keep running it at six or 7,000 uh, RPMs. You need to, need to back off. You need to shift the gear. You need to do something. And so in the same way, think of these as these gauges in your life that, um, that you might look at a scale. And I use it just a scale of 1 to 10 because it's simple. So, so if I'm really off in some area, it might be a 2 or a 3. But if I'm doing great, it might be an 8 or 9 or a 10. And I just want to walk you through these things. And, I, I, and the way to remember them is the word spire, okay? Kind of think of a church steeple or a spire. So S-P-I-R-E, it's an acronym. And so here we go. The first is the S is spiritual. And so this is just an understanding, of, again, of this, of this idea of peace with God, right? Our, the spiritual act, aspect of our lives. 
And there's two things I think that need to come about this. And I already spoke to this a little bit earlier. That if you're not in a relationship with God yet, then then I'm, I'm going to suggest to you that you can, you can pursue all meth, you know, manners of spirituality and all of that, but if you don't ever come to a right relationship with God through Jesus, then you're always, I think, going to feel off a little bit in that area. And so my invitation to you is that you would come to know Jesus. That you would admit that you've sinned, that you've wronged, that you've been out of alignment with, with uh, his way and the way that he describes us to live. And so you ask for forgiveness, you're made right with him, and peace is restored. Another thing then, though, if you are in a relationship with God, another practice, I think, is, is to, to regularly, if not daily, make it a pattern in your quiet time to confess and repent. To regularly examine your heart and just say, God, examine my heart. Is there some sin in my life where I am out of alignment? Because when I'm out of alignment, what have we learned? It distorts the peace. And so pay attention to these things. When we, we think about, okay, spiritually, relationship with God, where am I at? And if it's a three or four, then you need to get on your knees and ask God to help you and to, to say, God, restore to me, what, the joy of my salvation, the way the psalmist wrote, that we would experience just the joy of being in right relationship with God. The second is physical. It's physical. And this is really just taking care of yourself physically and understanding that that, in in fact, is a holy practice, right? We are the temple, so to speak. The Bible talks about us being the, the temple of the Holy Spirit, And so we should take care of our bodies, eating right, exercising well, getting proper sleep, all of these kind of things. And I find in my own life, when I'm really stressed or anxious about something, and I can just feel it just kind of churning inside of me, sometimes I just go to bed, and I go to bed really early then, and I just kind of sleep it off. Because I can wake up in the morning with a new perspective. Things have shifted, right? So don't neglect where you're at physically. Maybe you're dealing with chronic health issues. Maybe there's something there that always makes it hard to be an eight or a nine. But pay attention to what you need to do to take care of yourselves physically as well. Because we all know that when there's something physically going on, we've experienced this, it affects us emotionally. It might affect us spiritually, right? We get down and discouraged and depressed because we're dealing with something physical like an illness. Thirdly, The I now is intellectual. So we have spiritual, we have physical, we have intellectual, or maybe the mental thing. And if you're anything like me, and hopefully you're not because that would be bad, um, you might have things that stress you out and, and sometimes just consume lots of mind space. You know what I'm talking about, right? Where, where, where there's stuff that's just going around and round in your mind and you can't sort it out and you're always thinking about the same things and you're feeling this, this level of anxiety increasing. And then we read in Philippians 4, 6, and 7, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. So we pray. And what is the promise that that Paul writes about there? He then goes in verse 7. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding. You can't make sense of this. You can't explain it. Your life is in chaos and turmoil, but you've prayed about it. And the, the situation hasn't necessarily changed, but your perspective has. 
And the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and what? Your minds in Christ Jesus. And so our response is that since we're in a right relationship with the Father, we pray about everything. I just, I get so frustrated with myself sometimes because I'm such a slow learner. I don't always pray first. That may surprise you. There's just things that happen. I'm like, I can tackle this problem. I can charge into there. I can take care of this. And it doesn't always go very well. And it's like, oh, just need to pray. And prayers don't need to be elaborate and complicated. Prayers should be just simple and direct prayers. God, restore this broken relationship. God, help me today to have joy in my workplace. God, you know, whatever it is, just simple, direct prayers. Reorient your thinking in that way. Four, relational. This is, all, again, this is now that, that the idea of peace with others. Peace with others. And I want just give you two things again to think about. One is that we should be people who seek to be peacemakers. Peacemakers as opposed to peacekeepers. And there's a huge difference because as a peacemaker, you're going to be intentional. You're going to be proactive. A peacekeeper is much more, more passive. And so what do you intentionally do? You think, well, okay, I know that there's this relationship. I know there's this tension that I have with this person at work. There's this tension that I have with a neighbor. There's a tension that I have with a spouse or whatever because you're looking at your gauges and you recognize relationally something is off. And so what do you do? You first of all pray about the situation. You just bring it to God. And then secondly, you prepare yourself to to have maybe a hard conversation or a difficult conversation. But you step into it as opposed to running away from it and being passive about it. And why is this important? Even Jesus said, Matthew chapter 5 in the Beatitudes, blessed are the peacemakers because they're going to be called children of God. Children of God because we pursue peace. We run into places that are broken. We're proactive in that way. The second thing, as much as we want to be peacemakers, you probably discover that sometimes it's not possible to be at peace with everyone. And so you need to be at peace even when you can't make peace. To be at peace even when you can't make peace. The Apostle Paul, I think, was very practical about this in Romans 12, verse 18, when he says, you know, if it is possible. I mean, just him saying, if it is possible, it's assumed that it, it might not be possible. But if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. As it depends on you, live at peace with everything. When you've tried everything, when you've prayed, you've tried the conversation, you've reached out to try to restore that broken relationship, but it doesn't work. And sometimes you just need to establish healthy boundaries in those situations. Just say, I can't, I tried. I don't know how this is going to work. But right now, I need to be restored. And fifthly, emotional. So we have what? Are you with me? Spire, spiritual, physical, intellectual, relational, and emotional. Some counsel that I once received was just watch your joy. Watch your joy, Norm. 
So when I'm feeling like I'm a little down, a little discouraged, it's like, okay, where did, where's my joy at? How do I reorientate myself with that? If you come into my, my office, I have two pictures in the corner, and it's uh, done by uh, Jenny Park, who's on staff here. She has a little side business called Purposeful Scripts, so a little shout out to Jenny and, and, uh, and, her, and her work. But she does this incredibly beautiful calligraphy, and there's just a picture on one side, just black on white, it is well with my soul. And I can just sometimes sit there and look into the corner and just say, yeah, yeah, it is well with my soul because I'm in a right relationship with God. I seek to be a peacemaker, even though I know that sometimes it's hard to be at peace with everyone. And I'm at peace with my life circumstances. You know, I was thinking of, of a way to illustrate this, and I'll close with this, which means I've got about five minutes left. <laughs> um, one of the things that we do in our home is we PVR live sports or record live sports. And I know this drives some people crazy. They just can't do it. But we do it all the time because oftentimes I'm not home in the evening and I want to watch the Oilers game, but I'm not going to be able to do it, so we'll record it. Plus, it's like two and a half, almost three hours long. I don't have that much time tonight. I want to be able to just skip through the intermission, skip through the commercials, and just watch the game. Sometimes some of you spoil it for me, right? You get a text, man, what a game. Did you see that goal or whatever? It's like, okay, here it comes, you know, or whatever, right? Um, and there's other times where you can't kind of take the suspense. But if you're watching live sport and you love the team that you want and you, you're cheering for them, and you've been, we've all been through this, and, and it's live, you don't know what's going to happen, right? So you live kind of with this anxiety. You live on the edge of your seat because you don't know what's going to happen. Well, the PVR kind of removes all of that doubt. And there are times where I'm like, I'm not really sure I watched this. It wasn't that long ago. There was a game against Dallas. Tina had watched it. I came home and I said, is it worth watching? Do you remember the game? And she kind of just said, oh, maybe. She wasn't going to give it away. I wish she had because it was a terrible game. They were losing like 3 nothing, and then they scored a goal. I went, okay, here it comes, the comeback. Now 4-1 or whatever the final, final was. But what I've found is when I've cheated and looked at the score and you know how it ends, you just relax. You can watch with peace. There's really nothing to be anxious about. Friends, it's going to be okay. Friends, we need to know this today. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Whatever anxiety and, and stress you're feeling in your life right now, that you, the, the lack of peace resonates with you, maybe on one of these, these scales, you, you know that things are off, they're misaligned. But Jesus came to bring peace. And He came and He lived and He died and He rose again. And He's coming back. So Advent is not just waiting for the celebration of the birth of Christ. Advent is the longing that we have that ultimately all things will be made right. And Jesus is coming again. And when he comes again, there's not going to be any tears or sorrow. There will not be any death or divorce or brokenness. Why? Because it will be restored. 
Shalom will come and it will be complete. We're going to sing O Little Town of Bethlehem and I'm going to invite the worship team to come. And I, I want to tell you this because I think it's important to hear this. Because we sing these songs and we don't have context sometimes. But this song was written by, by Philip Brooks. He was born in Boston in 1825. He was Harvard educated. And he became a pastor and a preacher in the 1860s, which was during the time of the American Civil War. And he was only 35 years old, and he was already recognized as one of the most dynamic Christian voices in America. And he was leading the congregation of Philadelphia's Holy Trinity Church during these bloody years of the Civil War. And that stress and the strain of that had taken its toll. Because literally everyone in the church knew someone who had been killed or injured in the conflict. The women regularly wore black as they mourned the loss of a husband or a son. The people wanted him to be inspirational. They wanted him to to, to give them hope. They wanted an end to the war, but in spite of even valiant efforts, Phillips couldn't give them what they needed most, and that was peace. And the war ended, and everybody expected that life would return. And yet, the pain only intensified when, I think it was just six days after the war had ended, President Lincoln was assassinated. And here's Philip Brooks, only six years into ministry, and, and he is the one who has to deliver the message at President Abraham Lincoln's funeral. And the effect of seeing a great leader senselessly killed and the exhaustion of the effort left himself empty. He had nothing left to give the flock that he pastored himself. He was worn out and in desperate need of spiritual renewal. So he took a sabbatical and he toured the Middle East. And on Christmas Eve in 1865, he was in Jerusalem But he wanted to get away from the crowds, and so he boarded a horse, and he set out to the countryside, in spite of maybe even some of the possible danger of being out there, in the very fields maybe where the shepherds were that night. He says that it was a very peaceful ride. And at dusk, he says a sudden sense of awe fell over him. And under a clear sky, the first stars were just beginning to show. He rode into the still tiny and remote village of Bethlehem. And he recalled the story of the birth of his Savior. It was a moving experience to be physically present in the place that Jesus was born. And the great speaker was all but speechless as he considered the heavenly king born in such modest surroundings. He would later tell his family and friends that the experience was so overpowering that he would never, forever, excuse me, be singing in his soul. And this experience dramatically changed him. It renewed his calling. The dark days for him had ended, and the joy of living and a positive attitude returned. He returned from the sabbatical with renewed energy. But the interesting thing was that as great of a speaker as he was, he couldn't somehow find the words to relate this incredible experience with his congregation. And so for the next three years, this singing in his soul remained, but his inability to actually share the stirring imagery haunted him. 
And it was finally in 1868, as he again thought of riding into Bethlehem at dusk, he didn't have to force the words out anymore. He simply relieved, relived the experience and jotted down the lines that then seemed to float into his head. And these words took on the form of a poem. He took these words and he shared them with his friend and the church organist, Louis Redner. He tried to compose music to these words and he couldn't. And finally, it was on the night of Christmas Eve. He had gone to bed and it was almost like the Spirit of God gave him a melody. It's the same melody that we still sing, O Little Town of Bethlehem. And so it's against this backdrop of war and grief and pain with no peace it seemed. Friends, I don't know what's happening in your life right now, but I hope you know that Jesus, who is the Prince of Peace, came so that you might have peace with God, so that you might have peace with others, and that you might have peace with your life circumstances. And I pray that as we sing this wonderful carol this morning, may we, like Phillips Brooks, experience this overcoming peace, and may it also forever be singing in our souls. And when we finish singing the song, we're going to gather and, and take communion. And I hope that all that I've said has already prepared us for this. But a reminder that Jesus, the Prince of Peace, came to earth, he lived, died, rose again, made it possible to have peace with God because he made the relationship right. Peace with others and peace in our life circumstances. And in the last verse that we sing, it's really a prayer, cast out our sin and enter in. Friends, that's the invitation. Cast out our sin and enter in.